from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, November 30th, 2017. Episode 32, A Particular Robot Vacuum. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff that you care about. I'm your host, Jason Snell. I'm joined this week by the same two people who were on 10 weeks ago, kind of coincidentally, which it is editor-in-chief at the Wirecutter, or Wirecutter, sorry, it was in transition and now we're on the other side of it now, Wirecutter, Jackie Cheng. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me again. Uh, Congratulations on launching the new version of the site and all of that. That was just about to happen when we talked. So it looks great. Yes. Thank you. Super integrated and uh, with the New York Times and and, uh, Sweet Homes rolled in there and it's great. Um, And your colleague, senior editor at Wirecutter, Dan Frakes, and my old uh, pal from Macworld Days is here too. Hi, Dan. Hey, glad to be here. I guess if you if you if you bring Jackie on, you get me for free. I guess that's the way. It's <laughs> you're kind out. of buy, yeah, buy one get one. You're a throw in. Yeah, yeah. You're a, no, no. It's good to have both of you here. I, it's also who do I who do I know at the Wirecutter? I I actually want to know more people at Wirecutter because I I love uh, the stuff that you guys do. Um, all right, so let's talk about this stuff. Uh, and uh, we like to say these are the most interesting stories of the week during the holiday season. Sometimes we get a little conceptual. Stephen Hackett and I put the show together looking for headlines, and sometimes instead finding concepts. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for digging up some concepts this week. (laughs) You know, I just got my shovel out and went to town. I am wondering how many different little patterns of guests and episode numbers I could do before anyone caught on. Ooh, okay. It's going to be... We'll leave that for the the fan wiki that does not exist for this podcast, so check that out. (laughs) I'm sure there's there's that one guy out there who makes charts and graphs of everything that's on a podcast on on Relay, so maybe, uh, maybe he'll do it. I don't know. He's out there. He's listening right now. Hello. Um, okay, topic number one, conceptual, uh, just a diamond from the concept minds at number one, which is uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, shopping, shopping, shopping. Those have come and gone. Um, Wirecutter is is all about what are the best products? How do you choose uh, correctly when you're shopping for something? And so I wanted to have you both on to talk about that. Um, I wanted to start with just sort of generally asking you what's what's the lay of the land this season? Are there particular trends that you're noticing either in terms of products that people are really interested in or the way stuff is being marketed and sold to consumers? Jackie, what have you what have you noticed so far? If anything, I think the trend that I see is just more, more, more. Um, I think that as we have seen for the last few years, uh, you know, for Black Friday and Cyber Monday and, and the days in between, um, it, frankly, also the days leading up to it, I think we've seen like a larger volume of, you know, so-called deals being published in general. Um, and then we've also seen more deals that like we at the Wirecutter think are good. So I would say that generally, like the percentage of deals that we think are good is roughly the same as always. It's always very low. Um, but like there's just so many more deals in general, like to, to look at, dig through. And there, there are some great things to find. I, I don't know that I would say that I have personally seen too many trends, like of the products themselves. Um, generally, you know, people just, want to buy everything, right? <laughs> so there's there tends to be I, I would say there always tends to be a lot of like deals on, you know, TVs and stuff, which hmm. can really be hit or miss. Um and a lot of um I think there's a lot of appliances 
that are kind of, um, you know, discounted right now, but that, that may be the usual. I'm not sure if Dan disagrees, but, um, uh, it seems to me like it's just a lot more of everything. Yeah, I think that's fair. There were, I mean, we had a whole staff of how many people do we have? Jackie, 65 working on this for like a week and a half. Yeah. Um, and that's across all sales. teams, but yeah, right. huge staff. And, and, and as Jackie said, there's just so many more. I, I would say that two things I noticed this year, um, one was that a lot of vendors were offering their deals earlier. So we mm-hmm. were seeing huge sales start like Monday of Black Friday week rather than like having to wait till Thanksgiving night or, or, or the day after Thanksgiving morning. A lot of stuff was, you know, I think the, I think there's just so much stuff going on Friday with all the sales that, that a lot of big vendors like Best Buy, Costco, Walmart were starting to say, look, why don't you just buy them now instead of waiting until <laughs> then and, and competing mm-hmm. and like having to compete with our, the competitors. Um, and the other interesting thing I noticed this year is that, and may, you know, I think it started happening before, but this year it just really felt like it was a lot more pervasive, was that it used to be that a lot of the Black Friday sales, especially from like, you know, um, brick and mortar stores, you had to go to the store to get it. You know, they might have had some online deals, but if you really wanted that iPad for really cheap, you had to go stand in line at like six o'clock Thanksgiving evening. Uh, and it felt like this year I saw very few other than fries, which is always like that. Um, I saw very few where you actually had to go to the store. Uh, some Most of the best deals we found, you could actually just sit at home on your couch and get them. You might have to wait and like press click at you know, 5 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon, but you didn't have to actually go to a store. And I think it's it felt like this year a lot of the big sort of physical vendors kind of just gave in, threw their hands up and said, okay, fine, just buy it online. You can have it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that too. I, I spent... I spent all of Thanksgiving evening um, employing uh, young kids to help me go through a bunch of print ads for, you know, store actual in-store deals. And I was kind of comparing them to what was already online. And everything that I found that I thought was good was already online or it was like a better price online. So, yeah, I, I was like, you know, why even bother going to the store? And I think, I mean, we've definitely been moving towards that place already for years. Um, but I think I agree that this is maybe the first year where it really struck me where I was like, man, there, there really is no advantage to go into the store pretty much at all. Um, so that's maybe new. <laughs> well, that's Black Friday. You know, it's funny because it is has always been one of these holdouts as online commerce has risen and risen and risen. There's still been this. Well, you know, people line up and go into stores and they open the doors and people flood in on on Black Friday. And I don't know whether it's um, that there are so many people who do that, that it's like, you know, nobody, it's too crowded. Nobody goes there anymore. It's like people don't want to do that. <laughs> or you're missing opportunities if you only reach the people who are willing to wait on on the morning of Black Friday or the or Thanksgiving night in order to do it. Um, so it, it's in, an interesting evolution. I don't know whether it means that Black Friday crowds are going to go away or whether it just means that um, that retailers realize there's too many people that they're, they're not reaching because you know, I'm not, I mean, just just to use one example, I'm not going to go out there. I don't want to go outside on Black Friday. Let's just say it. I don't want to leave the house because it's a madhouse out there. Um, but so I don't know. I don't know whether this is uh, whether this is the end of this. Um, it's an interesting question, right? Do you, do you do people bother going out of the house once they realize that they don't that their Black Friday deal can be done virtually while they're sitting in their pajamas? <laughs> I I think you know I say this a lot. Now my my reminiscing may not be entirely accurate, but you know when I was a kid um, before people started really getting too crazy about Black Friday shopping. I mean, the whole excuse about go, like going Black Friday shopping was mostly just to 
you know, get with a couple of family members at, and get out of the house because mm-hmm. everyone was cooped up for so long. And there's, no, and there's nothing to do. It's the day after Thanksgiving. What do you yeah, do? It's right? a Friday, but it's kind of a holiday. So you go, yeah, we'll go shopping because Christmas is around the corner. That was the exactly. idea. Exactly. And I think in some respects, like people do that for that reason still. Like, you know, maybe it's a an outing or whatever. But I certainly think that if you're really going for, you know, savings, um, like, there's maybe less of a reason to do that for the savings reasons and more for family bonding. <laughs> mm. That's fair. That's fair. So speaking of savings, let's talk more generally about online deals. People are people are going to it's not last week is 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 not going to be the end of this. It's going to run all the way up to Christmas Day, basically, and probably thereafter until in 10 or 20 years, it'll just be the shopping season. Uh, like six months out of the year but uh so we'll be bombarded with deals of like this is on sale and you can buy this thing and you'll get this extra thing and there's so much of this kind of deal uh psychology and marketing going on and i know that with your site you look at this very carefully all the time but especially during the holidays what do you have advice for people in terms of like detecting what a good deal is versus what a bad deal is or is there no way to tell well, so, uh, you know, this is advice that I always start from. And I sometimes I feel like people this is not always what everyone wants to hear. <laughs> um, but, you know, I I I think that if you start from a place of knowing what like what products that you are interested in already, um, say you have your eye on a particular TV or like a particular robot vacuum or, you know, a laptop or whatever. I think it's good to have an idea of what you're looking for. And then I, you know, this is what we say at the site too, like monitor the price. And then, and then when the deal comes along, you are definitely more set up, like with the right kind of like pre- preparation, I guess, uh, to know whether the price that you're now seeing is, is good or not. Of course, that requires a lot of prep. I mean, clearly not everyone does that. I think that another way, like we, we often talk about camel, 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 which Mm. is a a website that you can go to and you can sort of look at the price fluctuations. Um, that's another thing that is good just to know if, so like, for example, um, before a lot of deals days, not just black Friday, but you know, many other days like prime day and whatnot, a lot of manufacturers will like, they'll have say like, you're looking at a USB battery. That's like normally a hundred dollars every day. Um, even if the MSRP is really like one third, or something. Um, a lot of places will raise the price to 130 for like say 48 hours before slashing the price again to $100 and then saying it's a it's a deal. Um, of course, that's not to say that the $100 is you know you're getting ripped off per se, but I think that you know there's there's sort of the uh, the perception that this just got slashed and it could go back up at any time when in reality many products are that same price like for much of the year. So that's one place where uh, Camel 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 can help you just kind of see whether that's happening or not. Um, those are my two tips. <laughs> I, I was gonna gonna talk about Camel 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 too because I think it's um, it's one that I, I, I whenever I tell somebody about it they're like what's that? That's Camel Camel Camel. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's fantastic because you can go in there and just, in fact, if it's an Amazon item, you can just enter the Amazon URL and it'll say, here's the last year of pricing for this item. And then you look and you're like, oh, it was actually cheaper two months ago, you know, on, on just a random the Tuesday. So clearly the price on this fluctuates and I don't need to, to, to buy it today. But if it shows, oh, it's been 200, 200, 200, and all of a sudden it's 130, 
for the first time ever, then you're like, okay, that's actually might be a deal. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I totally second that. It's, it's something that our, our deals team uses like, you know, hundreds of times a day on every product that we find because we're doing this deal scanning all the time. Our deals team, they're constantly, um, on a, on a daily basis going out and looking for sales on things and, and trying to find out if the things that we recommend on the site are cheaper than normal and a good time to buy. So they're using that literally, you know, hundreds of times a day. Um, and, uh, I totally had a second thought and I just totally lost it. So <laughs> the, the last kind that I would definitely be cautious of, and this one is harder to really know, um, in advance as a regular person, but you know, a lot of manufacturers will also, you know, pull the whole like skew thing where, you know, for example, a bunch of TVs will be marketed as being, you know, majorly discounted for the holiday, but it turns out that they just released those ones just for Black Friday right. and it, and they have, you know, fewer features or different kinds of features. Mm. And, you know, uh, a lot of people don't really necessarily know what all the features are to begin with. So they don't really realize that they're, you know, getting something less than what they thought they were getting. Um, that one is, is more difficult. I think that comes back to like, if you want to do it yourself, like just knowing the product that you're, that you're looking for. But also, of course, that's, that's where we at Wirecutter hope to help people, um, is sort of like, we realize not everyone can keep track of that stuff. So we try to keep track of it for everyone. So it sounds like if you know what you want, this is the conundrum of shopping, right? There's the <laughs> shot kind of shopping that is, you know what you want and you're watching it and you put it in camel, camel, camel. This is the case. I always use the, the, the Breville tea maker that I bought that I, I watched that thing for like a year and a half in camel, camel, camel. <laughs> and I bought it when it went down about $60. And I was like, that's the lowest price it's been in a year and a half. I'm going to buy it right now. Um, that's great. The, one of the challenges with this period though, is the other kind of shopping, which is it's not something you're really planning on buying and you see an email or you see an ad or somebody sends you a link and you look and you're like oh i didn't even know i wanted that thing but i kind of want it now and you don't have any context and that's uh, you know i hate to say that's when they get you but that's when they get you is you, you, you know you didn't know you wanted it and now you kind of want it and that's dangerous shopping right because you may buy things you regret you don't actually need it you didn't do any research it seemed like a good deal but it wasn't and you know i know it's fun to chop that way, but it's also not necessarily like you're going to not necessarily get the best product, the best deal. If you do that, you know, even when you, even when you, it's a, even when it's a good product or you're pretty sure it's a good product, it's easy to fall victim to that where you're just like, Oh, I'll buy this. I'll buy that. You know, that's how I was on, on uh, Thanksgiving and black Friday. Um, just kind of hanging out in our deals channel on Slack. Um, you know, our whole staff is surfacing all these great deals and still, you know, I, I don't need all of those things. And, and yet I was still adding like, you know, citrus juicers to my, to my cart and all kinds of stuff that I would never use. Um, so that's the other thing is that, um, I think actually New York Times just published this thing last week that was like psychology behind, um, Black Friday. And I mean, the, the big lesson was just that, you know, it, it's a big, experiment in scarcity, <laughs> you know, people sort of having this idea that the deal is going to go away, even if, you know, whether it's good or bad and people just kind of make impulsive decisions. So I think there's some of that too. I, in some ways you just have to, 
I guess, decide how impulsive you're willing to be. <laughs> I have a question about like more broadly about the audience of the wire cutter. I mean, we talk about like people who are really focused on, I want to buy the best product. Well, I mean, obviously that's wire cutter. That's what the site was set up to do. That is, I would imagine it attracts an audience of people who generally shop the, the first direction a little bit more than the second way that I described. Because if, if you're worried about like, is this the best product? You're actually somebody who's, who's not entirely impulsive and is doing a little bit of research. But is that true? And as as a wire cutters become part of the New York Times, it, you know, do you have to do you have to adapt or you know realize that you're maybe reaching an audience that that doesn't think that way, and you need to kind of educate them a little bit more about being a savvier shopper? Um, you know, I don't know that I would necessarily say that I we approach it that way. Um, I think that you know we even though yes we we have probably an evolving audience, um, especially now at the times, but we, our approach is still kind of always the same. We do, you know, our goal is to help people, um, not only save time and sort of frustration and effort it, you know, doing all this research themselves, but, but yeah, to, to help them find the right things so that they don't have to do all that research themselves. So I think that, you know, there's, there are different ways in which people kind of do that kind of research. We started thinking of it in some ways as sort of like a push and pull thing where a lot of people come to us because they're pulling the information. They're already doing the research because they want to buy this thing. And then there's sort of like the push audience where, um, you know, they, they are maybe shopping a little more impulsively. Like they want to find out about new things, you know, as, as they decide to buy them. Um, <clears throat> we still want to help those people, but we want to help them at least, you know, avoid like the, the crappy things. So I think especially with the times, like we have experimented, like we're working very closely with um, Smarter Living over at the times and Smarter Living has been doing a lot more product coverage. Um, they've been sending out some newsletters that sort of like tell people, um, for example, they have a five cheapish things um, kind of series going on in newsletters right now where they surface um, cheapish things that we recommend at Wirecast. Um, and that's the kind of thing where I think people who, you know, may not necessarily know that they're looking for an insulated travel mug, um, that's where they might find out about mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And they'll still find what we think is the best insulated travel mug, um, among other things. So we're kind of playing around with ways to sort of tell people um, about what, I don't know, you know, what we do, how we recommend things. I bought the best insulated travel mug because of the wire cutter recommendation, by the way, just, you know, I'm just saying. Who knew? Uh, I love it. <laughs> Even among Wirecutter regular readers, uh, I think we have a very diverse readership because we, on the one hand, we have people who, like you said, they, they want to research every, every, every product. So they'll come to, to a, they're like, okay, I want a travel mug. They go to our guide. They read the whole thing through word for word. And they're like, oh, I agree with that. Oh, I don't agree with that. So maybe, you know, maybe I don't want, you know, they're, they're actually taking everything, all the homework we've done and, and considering it. And then we have people who, you know, once before they bought a blender from a recommendation we did and they're like, oh, this is good. Now I'm just going to like look for wire cutter X and they go to a guide. They're like, okay, travel mug, click, boom, I'm done. So we, even within people who use wire cutter regularly, we have a pretty wide range of, of, you know, levels of rigor in how people shop. That's true. That's true. The people who read and, and, and consider and consider it one other data point versus the people who are like, what's your recommendation? Let me buy it, which is the other way to go. <laughs> um, 
All right, let's. We got more to talk about. Let's take a break. I'm going to tell you about something that is not a holiday deal, but it is a a good deal nonetheless all year round. This episode of Download is brought to you in part by our friends at Hover. Building your online identity has never been more important. With Hover, you can find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. I have 17. I counted 17 domains at Hover. That's I might have a problem. You don't need to have 17 domains, but I did when I was setting up sixcolors.com. I bought six colors with a U. I bought six dash colors. I bought six colors.me and six colors.org. I've got a few different Jay Snell domains. I've got the incomparable. I have some novels that I've written where I've claimed a domain in case I ever put them out in the world. It was probably premature, but I did it. Uh, 17 domains inside Hover. I actually had some that originally started outside of Hover. I transferred them in and that was super easy. And now they're all in one place, which is pretty great. Uh, The great thing about Hover, they let you keep your domains separate from your hosting. You never have to get stuck with a hosting service that doesn't meet your needs because the domains are at Hover and then you can host wherever you need to. No upsells. They got a clean user interface. They offer personalized email that matches your domain in and supports your online identity if you want to do that. And free who is privacy so the bad guys don't get your personal information. If you want to show the world what you're passionate about, you probably want a domain with a website behind it and email behind it. Hover is there to help you make the first step. Go to hover.com slash download FM now and get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you to Hover for supporting download moving on topic number two amazon made that weird announcement a little while ago that they were going to build a second headquarters somewhere because they kind of are running out of space in seattle i guess and they want to have a more distributed uh headquarters and rather than just announcing that they are opening a new headquarters somewhere they said we'd like proposals from everybody in north america about where we could have our next hq2 headquarters um and, and a bunch of cities obliged, as you might uh, expect. And what's interesting is what the cities have offered Amazon. A lot of fascinating things. One town in Georgia offered to rename itself Amazon, Georgia. Okay, that's that's a little needy, little needy. Lots of publicity stunts in uh, in various towns. Giant Amazon boxes being built here and there. Chicago, Jackie's old town, made headlines with a plan in which Amazon would be able to take the personal uh, taxes paid that are taken out of its workers' paychecks and keep it. Like we don't need it. The city doesn't need it. You. You keep it. Um, Boston suggested that they would create a group of city employees that would essentially be on the Amazon beat all the time. There are lots of different examples of of uh, government largesse targeting Amazon, hoping to have the sweetest deal to get Amazon to have a whole bunch of workers coming into their town. Um, critics say Amazon will profit from tax money that would go toward investment in civic services and infrastructure. I'm curious what both of you think about this. Uh, in general, this city falling over themselves and this idea that it actually reminded me of like like football stadiums a little bit right Right, where it's like no no rich company that's incredibly powerful let us give you things so that you'll come here (laughs) what do you think well it's hard to make a blanket statement because there are some of these that are probably good deals for the city. I mean, if you bring Amazon there, you are going to get a huge number of jobs. You're going to get more people spending money in the city. You're going to get, you know, 
people traveling there to do business. I mean, there, there are definitely benefits to having it. Yeah, Can we get the uh, Wirecutter deals team on this? Because that's the real <laughs> question here. Is, are these the good deals The best place to not? put your new, best place for most companies to put their new headquarters. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like you said, some of these are crazy. I mean, um, one of the ones was like Fresno, California was basically putting all the, all the, all this money into a general fund that Amazon would basically get to, if not outright decide, but like influence how it's spent. Yeah, I think there would be a panel that would choose how the money is spent by the city, but it would be like half Amazon people and half city <laughs> right. people deciding. But, right. And we're not talking like to build the actual thing. We're talking about like civic works in the city and where the tax <laughs> money goes. Right. And so that seems a little crazy, you know, and, and some of these outlandish ones really remind me of the, um, the Foxconn factory that got the, that, um, got the big deal in Wisconsin. And, you know, every major analysis of it showed that it was a, just a bad deal, but it happened anyway. I guess I don't even really know what to think. Um, I did get very upset about the Chicago news. Um, you know, I, I want to back up. I will definitely say, I think there are, <clears throat> I'm definitely not one of these people who's like, you know, no Amazon under any circumstances. Like, I think there are plenty of, potential benefits. Um, and sure, like usually there does have to be some kind of compromise that may not make every single pe- you know person happy, including me. That's fine. But I think that like the Chicago proposal was to basically, yeah, just let the company, like basically how it would work would be that workers would have, you know, taxes withheld from their paychecks, just like we all do in normal, you know, W-2 type jobs. Um, but instead of, you know, the state of Illinois, then being able to take those taxes that were collected, you know, on their behalf, instead of that happening, Amazon would just keep it. And for me, that was very upsetting, if only because, you know, Illinois itself is going through a budget crisis. Um, you know, they can barely pay for people's pensions, much less, you know, to keep all the right schools open and take care of the trains in Chicago and all these other things. And I'm sure that's the same sob story in many cities, of course. But like that, you know, that kind of thing is is upsetting to hear then when you're just like, oh, and then they're offering to let this company, um, you know, keep a billion dollars in taxes that could otherwise be used for those things. So, I, you know, I think I think you're right, Jason, uh, what you said in the very beginning where, um, well, you said this about that Minnesota town, but um, it, it just seems very, I mean, gosh, like it all just seems very desperate. I'm I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. Even even my hometown of Memphis is is in the running. They've promised, I think, 60 million dollars incentives. If you scroll through some of these articles, 60 million is on the way. Uh, the low end, but I think the way they're doing it is interesting. I mean, Chicago is definitely the like sort of outlier, and I agree with you. Like the Chicago thing is sort of sort of gross, um, but a lot of these cities and states are are doing what's called a pilot program, so it's it's payment uh, in lieu of taxes. I think is what it stands for, and so they are held to uh, specific requirements. Like you're going to generate this number of jobs, your salaries are going to be in this sort of range, you're going to help us with this set of infrastructure. And if the companies meet those goals over, you know, the five, 10 year, 15 year, whatever long that program is, then they get those tax breaks. And it, I see why cities do it right. You know, for someplace like Memphis, we have FedEx and AutoZone both headquartered here, but to have Amazon HQ2 would be a, a huge boon and bring a lot of jobs to the area and, and put Memphis on the map sort of in a new way. So you can see why a city our size would be interested in it. But I agree, it's... It's so important to look at what the costs are and, you know, a lot of these types of programs all over the country have been criticized that, you know, hey, you said you were going to create 150 jobs and you only created, 
you know, 30 and the others are sort of like remixed old jobs and you let people off and hired people back for similar jobs, trying to fudge the numbers. And I don't think Amazon would be doing that. Amazon's playing on a different level, but it's, it's always, um, I think really complicated to look at this and see what a city offers and what makes sense, uh, down the road beyond just the sort of initial push of, Hey, Amazon's coming to town. That's great. And that could be a really important like press moment, but long-term is a city better off or worse off for having it, uh, I, you know, I think it's just it's just super complicated, and uh, wherever Amazon ends up, I'm sure they're going to to weigh this stuff very heavily because they they obviously want the the best deal they can get. As questionable as a lot of these deals are for the cities, I, I got to give Amazon credit. This is a pretty brilliant uh, negotiating move on their behalf. If you're a company that big, big enough where everybody wants you. To just say, okay, everybody publish a proposal just so I can see all of them and everyone else can see everyone else's. So now we have a starting point that's totally in our favor and then we can negotiate up from there. Yeah, it's, I mean, we both went to stadiums earlier, Dan, and that's what this reminds me of in one way because everybody wants that team that's moving. I mean, that that is the truth of a lot of professional sporting uh, uh, franchise moves is a franchise says, well, we could get a good deal here or we can move somewhere else. And everybody starts falling over themselves to build a stadium, mm-hmm. to do a stadium offer, to do those same tax rebates. Now, I don't want to draw the parallel too closely because there's no doubt if Amazon sets up a second headquarters somewhere in North America to parallel Seattle, it's going to be lots of jobs. It's going to be a lot of infrastructure. It is undoubtedly, I would say, going to be a better economic deal than a professional sports franchise where there's very, I mean, not to break it, I love sports, but very little economic benefit Mm -hmm. to having a sports team. It's a very small number of employees, a small number of dates per year, especially for something like football. Um, Baseball and basketball are a little bit different. Um, and, And so... It, there, I get the benefits of it, but it is the same game of putting it, pitting everybody against each other. They all fall over one another to do tax rebates and special economic zones and all of that. Um, that all said, and, and, and you're right, like what I don't like about this in one way is what's brilliant about it, which is Amazon's going to get a better deal because it's pitted every, mm-hmm. every uh, city in North America against one another in order to get this thing. Um, it, it, you know, but I do think whoever gets it will probably have a huge economic benefit from it. So fair, fair enough. Also, I wanted to mention 538.com, not to be outdone, uh, did a, uh, a data analysis of where it should go. Of course, they did and uh they said denver <laughs> okay i'll just throw that out there denver probably put that on page one of their little uh whatever you know maybe next to the box that they put in the town square or whatever these cities are doing to woo amazon i don't know i feel bad for seattle i think could they not stay in seattle and just like make, <laughs> take over more of seattle i guess not gotta diversify you know what yeah. happens uh if something happens to seattle what what, what happens <laughs> if uh if mount rainier erupts right you need the contingency right. headquarters i get it jeff, jeff bezos will probably have a rocket ready to go to fire off hit, fire him off to the the backup headquarters which i'm just gonna say uh all these cities are are looking for uh, amazon hq2 but we know jeff bezos is building rockets Stephen. right we know blue origin is out there so it's no doubt that hq3 is going to be on the moon right we got right I think I think you've cracked it. I figured I it out. It. That's it. They're going to the moon. The moon is offering the best incentives. That's 
Yeah, something like that. Okay, let's move on and talk about other things. I, now that I've gone to the moon, this episode of Download brought to you by App Optics. Application monitoring shouldn't break the bank. App Optics is a next-generation application performance management system that's built specifically to help developers and DevOps teams trace distributed transactions throughout their complex environments. App Optics includes broad APM language support with auto instrumentation, simple and easy-to-use infrastructure monitoring, which is all built in, and it's all supported by a large open community. Plans start at just $7.50 a month, and you can learn much more at appoptics.com slash download. Now it's time for the story you may have missed, a story that might have flown under your radar, but might be worth mentioning. Bitcoin has, uh, has at, as of this recording, because who knows, it may be down to like $2 a Bitcoin by the time you listen, uh, trading up by $10,000 per Bitcoin. People are taking notice once again, because nothing talks like money. People have been mining coins for years. One man has taken it to a new level. There is a, an owner of a Tesla Model S who has built a Bitcoin, a Bitcoin mining rig in his car, and he runs it using, and these are incredibly electrically intensive to do this, like the, the electricity required to mine Bitcoins with computational, like they have like big GPUs and it's, it's nuts. So, uh, but he's got a Tesla Model S, which means that he has access to the superchargers and uh, he, he, it's free. The electricity is free. So presumably he just uh, hooks his computers up to the car battery somehow. I, I, this has got to void his warranty. Anyway, I don't know what's going on. I think Tesla might get involved um but uh maybe this is the the way of thinking that gives you enough money to uh to buy a model s i don't know anyway good good on that guy he's uh probably gonna lose his tesla anyway let's move on to topic number three uh net neutrality is in the news the fcc is going to vote december 14th activists are gearing up for a fight fake emails were sent hmm, this is fun uh supporting uh, fake email addresses were used to send uh send support of net neutrality repeal uh and and so the support that they claimed was there was not there um and uh and amid all of this comcast changed the wording on one of its web pages about uh, not intervening and honoring net neutrality to be a little less specific, which was a little bit chilling. Um, also, uh, Ben Thompson, somebody I respect a lot at Stratechery.com, wrote a, a story that was really interesting, which he, the way he phrased it originally was, I'm for the chairman of the FCC. And then he's like, okay, that's inflammatory. People are angry at me. I'm going to change it to, I am pro net neutrality, but I think that regulating it with Title II, which is currently what's going on, is not not the best way to do it he wants to see he wants to let the market work a little more uh which was an interesting counter uh counter argument i'm not sure i entirely agree with him but i think it's good to see counter arguments here so okay we got all up in arms about net neutrality stuff and the old fcc uh, did some made some changes to regulate uh carriers um but it's a new fcc now appointed by a new administration and this is where we are what i am I'm, I'm interested in what you both think dan is there you know is is there anything we can do is this is this a disaster for the internet is it gonna not matter too much i'm i'm i'm, I'm really curious about your take on net neutrality um wow where to begin <laughs> what, yeah sorry oh, sorry um, dan you're breaking up i think comcast is uh has deprioritized yeah, skype for you sorry about that <laughs> Someone's, wah, wah. About, someone's about to say something negative about it. It's a, it's huge, right? It's, it's huge, huge and amorphous. Yeah, um, I mean, I I think anyone who's done even cursory reading here 
can see the risks of not having net neutrality rules. And um, I'm a I'm a strong supporter of it. The only thing I can say, I mean, we were a little concerned about this happening. And I don't think, I mean, I think this is kind of worst case scenario where all of a sudden they come out and say, all right, you know what? Those old rules are done. We're going to just throw them out. The only consolation here uh, is there was an article, a good article in the um, in the New York Times, not because it's <laughs> associated with us, but because it was a good article, um, basically saying that that the good news here is that the FCC might be overplaying its hand because as a regulatory mm. agency, you can't make wholesale changes that completely overturn existing established rules without basically just cause you have to be able to justify that they're necessary. And if you don't, then you could basically consumers or, you know, other agencies can sue and say, look, you can't do that. And, uh, several people I have read before and I trust on this issue are basically saying that, look, this is going too far. You're, you're, you're going to get nailed in court for it. And so maybe it's <laughs> maybe in a way it's good that it's going this far in one big step. Uh, but the flip side of that argument is that, well, then let's just go with smaller steps. And, you know, the same thing could happen over, you know, 10 years rather than 10 months. Yeah. I, you know, I, as I, as you were saying that, Dan, that's exactly what I was thinking is that, like, sure. I, I think, I think you're right. And people are right in general. Like, maybe it's good in the beginning to overstep a little, but I'm, and of course, this is perhaps me being pessimistic, but I just think that, you know, in the typical government fashion, they're just going to slow drip it on us, you know, for, <laughs> for the next 10 years or whatever. I mean, you know, we'll still end up in the same place, I think. Um, assuming that things move forward the way that they kind of are at the moment in the same direction. Um, I, I, you know, I, the non-pessimistic side of me uh, likes to think that there is something that we can do about it as far as, I mean, kind of the same stuff we've been doing, I guess, over literally everything, you know, calling your representatives, making a big fuss out of it. I think that we just all need to keep making a huge fuss out of it. But, you know, in, in all reality, um, I mean, I, I think it would be naive to say that this, like, they're making these changes for their own benefit. I mean, it seems obvious, uh, you know, and I guess that's all I can say about it. It's, it kind of sucks. It's sort of sad almost, um, for us to, especially those of us who grew up on the internet and kind of were around even before the internet became as it is now, um, to sort of see it go in this direction. And, um, I just, I don't know. I, I hope that somebody is able to, you know, even if we're not able to, stop all the terrible things from happening. Um, if we're able to shape it a little bit better so that, um, guidelines are still sort of user friendly, um, friendly to the people who are supposed to be using it all the time. Uh, you know, that'll still be a partial win for us. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm simultaneously pessimistic, but also keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah. I mean, it's super scary to think about, you know, someone who owns a small business like relay and we are absolutely dependent on having, you know, stable internet connection from our, our hosts to our, you know, our listeners. And if someone is Comcast or AT&T or Verizon wanted to go to our file provider and say, Hey, you know, you guys send a lot of traffic. Um, we need to cut a deal to make sure that that's fast. <laughs> it'd for everybody. be a shame that, if something happened to it. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a shame if some, something happened to your MP3s here. Uh, that's, that's a serious worry as a small business. 
Well, I mean, even worse than that, say you do video, you, you end up doing a lot of your podcasts and videos, so they take up more bandwidth. And then AT&T decides they're going to start up a podcast studio and they're going to make podcasts about technology and hope people listen to them. And then for some reason, everybody who listens to download and rebound and clockwise finds that their podcasts are really slow to load, but mm. these AT&T versions, you know, um, counterclockwise and you know <laughs> they download what's this uh, what's upload. this show so i mean that's that's i think the the thing that a lot of people don't think about is just that the the consequences of this are not just obvious like oh netflix might slow down while hbo go is fast but things like just small businesses who are happen to be in the line of sight of of a business that controls access. Well, if you're an up-and-coming streaming service and you're trying to, you know, not necessarily take on Netflix, but stake out some ground, something like Acorn, let's say, which does British TV, and it turns out that Netflix pays money for a peering agreement with Comcast and Netflix is fast, which is actually a thing that happened. Um, and, it, and Acorn can compete on content and they can compete on price, but one of the problems is uh, what if they're streams just buffer and are of low quality because they're not able to have a fair playing field with Netflix. Netflix has got the fast lane that is, you know, potentially harms their business because they aren't a part of it. And and as a consumer, you always have the choice, right, to say, oh, this is no good. I don't like what Comcast is doing. I'm going to go and use a, a competitor. But more than half, I believe, of Americans have only one option. And I think it's like two like two-thirds of Americans have only two options for broadband providers. I don't have a fast internet provider available to me that is not Comcast. I can't dump Comcast. And that's the, that's the other problem here. Like, I get what Ben Thompson's saying. Um, I, I think that Ben is relying on the idea that competition will spur the market, but there's not as much competition as there should be, and that Congress can potentially... Uh, pass some laws that regulate this and that requires us to believe that Congress would ever do that and that those laws would be any good and as somebody who remembers like the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and things like that Congress's track record in passing laws that are consumer friendly that are uh, tech involved in some way or tech adjacent it's is poor so I don't I you know it, it's yeah it's just a ball of uh, of bad feelings for me because I don't have anybody I can, you know, I can run to. I don't have a plucky upstart uh, broadband provider who says we're going to do net neutrality. It, I'm stuck with Comcast and whatever Comcast wants to do. Same. I am totally stuck. And I was about to say when you mentioned the, you know, the next group of households that maybe have two choices, usually that is like one decent choice and one terrible choice. And so you're still kind of stuck with one. Yeah, I mean, I can get AT&T DSL, but at this point, I don't even consider that a choice. Like I literally could not do my job on DSL. It's way too slow. I like I have to have faster internet than that. And if that counts as broadband, yay, I have two choices, one of which is not a real choice. <laughs> We're back down to one choice. I mean, it, you know, at some point, I think the hope is that the wireless companies will want to compete with the wired broadband companies. And then at least in wireless, there is some competition. But I, I don't know, my wireless data cap is like 10 gigabytes and my wired data cap is a terabyte. So it seems like there's a long way to go before we're realistically going to be um, letting them compete with each other. Uh, well, we ended on a downer. I know I should have had the last one be something about puppies, but it wasn't. Um, puppies are great. Puppies are great. Yeah. Topic number four this week, puppies, kittens. Puppies. They're awesome. 
they're so cute. <laughs> any thoughts? Anybody have any thoughts about puppies and kittens? Uh, I saw a video on Twitter this morning of a puppy running around in snow for the first time. That was uh, oh, that man. was nice. Those are the best. <laughs> Those are the best. See. There we go. All right. We did it, everybody. Uh, we ended on a, on a high note after all of that. That's awesome. <laughs> well, next week, we'll be back with another edition of Download. And the good news is next week, people will probably still be buying lots of things. The bad news is also we'll learn lots of terrible things about the bad behavior of famous people because that's not going to stop ever, I think, at this point. And that's, uh, you know, it's good because they're bad people, but it's also bad because it's really ugly and awful. But no, no, it's good. Good news is more deals. More sales. Holiday season. Yay. Puppies, kittens. Is that where we're at right now? The good news Yay. is that there's deals on people. The good stuff. news, I don't know. The good news is that there's I just just drink the eggnog, Dan. Just shut up and drink yeah. the eggnog. Everything will be okay. I'm just gonna sit in my take, corner take and, week in the dark it. and buy stuff online. <laughs> All right. That means we are at the end of this edition of Download. Jackie Chang, um, thank you for being here. Where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, you can find the stuff that I do at um, on Twitter at ejackie, E-J-A-C-Q-I, or at uh, thewirecutter.com. And Dan Frakes, what about you? Um, Dan Frakes on Twitter. You got <laughs> the same, best, yeah. Same, same website as, as Jackie, by oh, the way. That's right, wirecutter.com. We'll get you there now, like directly right there all right um steven hackett thank you very much for putting the the show together i really appreciated your topic number four of puppies and kittens by the way that was very good keep it up i'll I'll take full credit for that Mm. and i've been your host jason snell until next week we will continue watching the headlines so you don't have to thanks for listening everybody 